You know, when we were singing that song about Jesus coming, coming soon, um, the Bible says that he is going to return at any moment. His return is imminent. And when I say his return, I mean the rapture of the church will happen, meaning we will be caught up in the air to be, meet the Lord in the air. And uh, this is going to happen at any moment. And uh, the Bible teaches us that we should live expecting it. We should live in a way that, that we're ready. We're ready for him to return and, and we're, we're looking forward to it. And uh, one of the things that I live by is kind of this idea of, you know, plan for the next 50 years or whatever, but expect Jesus to return at any moment. Live in such a way where you're looking forward to it. <clears throat> well, I don't know if you know the name Sir James Thornhill. You probably don't know the name Sir James Thornhill, but this is a portrait of him. So you can kind of get the idea that he lived a long time ago. Actually, he died in 1734, and he was a famous artist. You kind of see that he has a, a painter's palette and some, some paintbrushes holding in his hands. Uh, why he was famous was because um, most people around the 1600s and the 1700s, most artists were hired out of Italy, and, uh, and yet he was an Englishman. And he was uh, commissioned by uh, London to paint... St. Paul's Cathedral's dome. He was commissioned in 1715 to paint the, the dome in St. Paul's Cathedral right in downtown London. Now, you need to realize that the dome of St. Paul's Cathedral, it's a famous cathedral in London, uh, it actually towers, the, the, the inside of the dome is 173 feet up. So uh, he was to paint the different scenes from St. Paul's life uh, around the dome. I think he has eight different scenes around the dome. And uh, he, they had scaffolding made all the way up high there. And uh, he was painting along and, and painting one of those, those sections of St. Paul's life. And he stepped back to take a look at his painting. And he stepped back a little too far. And actually, he was one step away from actually stepping off of the scaffolding and literally falling to his death. But one of his assistants saw him stepping backwards, realized what was going to happen, was too far away to do anything, just quickly thought on his feet to just grab a paintbrush and just start painting across the painting that he had just done. Just start ruining the painting that, that uh, Sir James Thornhill was painting. Of course, this caused him to not continue to step back, but to kind of go, whoa, 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 wait a minute, and run. Actually, he was an Englishman, so it's, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Oh, wait, that's Australian. Well, anyway, run toward the painting to rescue, you know, what he was doing. Little did he know that this assistant was actually rescuing him from sure ruin. I was reading that story. I kind of like art a little bit, and it was fascinating me. And I thought to myself, well, that's kind of a neat analogy as to what we do in our lives. I mean, in many ways, we are painting the canvas of our lives. We are painting what we think our lives are all about. And for many of us in here, we're saying, well, this is what we really feel God wants for our lives. We're building our lives the way that we think God wants them. And in many ways, we could step back and look at our lives and think that's quite, I think we're heading in the right direction. Whether if it's the education I'm going after or the ministry I'm involved in or how I'm raising my kids or the, the way I present myself when I'm at work, whatever that is, we, we oftentimes can look at our lives and think, okay, I think I'm building it the way God wants me to build it. 
But why is it that whenever we're building our lives, it seems like every so often something or someone comes along and just starts painting across it, you know? It's like someone gets in the way or something gets in the way of us actually moving in, in the direction that we want to move. There's like these disruptions or I would actually say that sometimes it feels like we're in a battle. Doesn't it feel that way? I mean, sometimes it feels like, man, this isn't, I mean, why, why did that happen? That wasn't supposed to happen. And, and, and we find ourselves kind of struggling a little bit. I mean, you know, you set out to have a godly marriage, right? You want to have a godly marriage. You want to honor your, your, and love your spouse. And, and yet, it's just not going as smoothly as you want it. Or you're trying to raise godly kids, you know, you want them to know the things of the Lord and they grow up and they kind of turn their back on God. Or, or um, you know, you want, you want to uh, have godly friendships, right? You, you want to, you know, honor God with how we relate to one another. But it's like things get in the way, like, like glitches in personalities or just, just trying to rub each other the wrong way. Or, you know, you want to be a godly witness, you know? We want to be a godly witness out there wherever we're at, but... Honestly, there are some struggles that we have with sin or something else. I mean, we want to build a godly life, but there's struggles. There's battles that we face. Now, I just want to lay the foundation a little bit of what the Bible teaches. It teaches that every struggle, every battle that we face, everything that doesn't seem to bring God honor, that seems to be a, a problem, really is rooted in the devil and his evil schemes. I mean, I'm going to give you two passages, and there's plenty more I could give you, but these two come to my mind. 2 Corinthians 2.11, 1 Peter 5.8. I mean, there's others. Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 10 and through 18, and there's others. But, but they all tell us that really our battle is a spiritual battle at its very foundation. Yet I wonder if God is using those frustrations, those, those disruptions, those those struggles, those battles that we face, I wonder if he's actually using them to spare our lives from, in a sense, taking one more step backwards toward utter, utter ruin and causing us to step forward. To step forward because of something went wrong. We're in this series entitled Brave. It's a study through the book of Nehemiah. And the reality is that when we build our lives in alignment with God's will, we will face battles. It's a fact. And God wants us to be brave. God wants us to be prepared. God wants us to be in the fight. And now as we come to Nehemiah chapter 4, we're going to see what some of those battles are that we, we do face and how we're to go about fighting them. How we fight them the way that God wants us to fight them. So let me just bring us up to speed on where we're at with Nehemiah. Last week we started this series as I was talking to the kids there earlier. And uh, Nehemiah was a leading official for King Artaxerxes of the Persian Empire. And uh, he was living in Susa with Nehemiah and Nehemiah or ne with uh, Artaxerxes and Artax Artaxerxes let him go back to Jerusalem. And he gets back to Jerusalem and he's got this entourage of military officials and guards with him and letters to different places to help him get all the materials that he needs. And he shows up in Jerusalem and he starts inspecting the wall, which is all broken down. 
Now, when we think about the wall around Jerusalem that Nehemiah went back to build, we may have an image in our mind as to what, how big this wall is, how huge this project is. And so I just wanted us to get our minds around the biblical truth around the, of, of what this wall is all about. So I've got a diagram for you. This is actually all of Jerusalem. I've got my little red pointer. This is all of Jerusalem during the time of Nehemiah and Ezra. And uh, it's uh, modern-day Jerusalem even to today. But when we talk about the wall that Nehemiah was building, it was more like a fortress inside the city. See this brown area? This brown area is actually the wall that Nehemiah was going to build. And then you see all these little slashes are all the different gates around the city wall. This is really a fortress that was being built so that the Jewish people could defend themselves against the enemies that were all around them. And there were enemies around them. A ton of people were in opposition to this. They were speaking out against it. But Nehemiah knew that this was God's call on his life and God's call on the people of Jerusalem. And they went at it. They knew that God wanted them to build this wall. And so they started in and they started to build it. So, when we think about building whatever God wants us to build, we're going to come up against some challenges or some, some battles that we'll face just like the Jews did back in Nehemiah's day. And the first thing we're going to see this morning is when we're building what God, what we, what, what God wants, we will first of all feel a sense of being demoralized. They, they were in it. They were building the wall. Uh, everyone jumped in. But then look at what happens in Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. And it says this, Now it came about when Sanballat, by the way, Sanballat was the governor of Samaria, and so he's, a, he's a, an enemy. Now it came about when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? In other words, are, is their God going to be there with them? Come on. Can they finish in a day? I mean, they're really going at it. Look at how they're really progressing. They think they're going to like finish this so fast. It's not going to happen. Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was near him, and he said, even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break the stone wall down. In other words, they think they're going to try and defend armies with this thing. It is so poorly built. Even if a little tiny fox jumped on it, it would knock that wall down. <laughs> Ridicule. Mocking. Casting doubt on their ability or their competencies. That happens all the time. Well, take, take athletics, right? An athlete. Uh, an athlete is only as good as their last bad play. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you're watching the game and the, the, the baseball player drops the ball, right? Such an easy catch, but he drops it and you're hollering at the TV. It's like, man, I could have caught that ball. What's up with that? Or, you know, it makes the news that it, this guy just isn't what he used to be. It's the same way with like musicians or with those who uh, perform in the arts, you know? It's like, boy, she just, she just didn't sound like, like she was on today. Not Dawn. I thought Dawn was quite on. I'm not saying anything there, but I'm just saying, you know, people like to kind of ridicule. They like to mock or to criticize his performance. I mean, it's just, it was subpar for him. He just, he just really didn't, you know, perform the way he ought to have performed. Or a teacher, right? A teacher can be 
the fan of the students, that is, until that teacher becomes a little too demanding, you know? I can't believe he gave us a pop quiz. Why did he give us a pop quiz like that? Who is that guy, you know? Or even our peers, you know? You can be in the in crowd until you make a mistake or you do something that's not cool anymore. Can you believe she did that? That is so dumb, you know? People love to put the judge hat on and point out what's wrong with things. People love to show how others fall short or don't measure up or don't do what in their minds they think is the right thing to do. And they mock. They ridicule. They even despise sometimes others. You know, it's demoralizing. It's demoralizing. It causes us to lose our hope or our confidence. It causes us to lose our courage or our bravery. I remember back in sixth grade, I was demoralized. <laughs> Out on the playground, you know, during recess. And all of us, all of the friends are together, and we had a bully in the sixth grade. I don't know if you've ever experienced an encounter with a bully, but this guy's name was Mike. I'll never forget Mike. <laughs> he was a bully, all right. We're out there having fun, goofing around, and Mike just comes up to me, and out of the blue, he knees me in the groin. I know, just like, boom, like, whoa. And I, like, buckle over, and all my friends started to laugh, right? I am immediately embarrassed and demoralized in front of everybody. And I, have you ever seen the movie A Christmas Story? Remember little Ralphie with the bully? Remember what happened with him? He, like, he snapped. And he ran and he chased the bully, tackles him, and just starts punching the bully until somebody pulls him off. Yeah, that was me with Mike. <laughs> I just, I just, something just went, boink, you know, and I just chased Mike down. I tackled him and I got on top of him and I'm just punching Mike until the teacher came and pulled me off of him. I'm not proud of it. But you know what happened was, when I was demoralized, I took matters into my own hands. You know, there's that old saying, I don't get mad, I get even. We don't get mad, we get even, right? That's the natural reaction when you feel like you've been demoralized, when you've been ridiculed. It's like fighting back, you know? Just start swinging, just start punching back. However, that's not what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah didn't take matters into his own hands. No, what Nehemiah did when they were feeling demoralized is that he let God fight his battle. When we're feeling demoralized, we've got to give it to God. Give it over to God. Look at Nehemiah's prayer in verse 4. He says, Hear, O our God, how we're despised. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before you. Get this, for they have demoralized the builders. They have drained us of our energy. They have deflated our self-confidence. They have stolen our joy. But instead of fighting back, instead of letting them get the best of us and just start fighting, we're going to just give it over to you, God. You deal with it. This is how mad I am about it. But I want you to, you to handle it. I'm just handing it over to you. When we're doing what God wants us to do, when we're building what, into our lives what God wants for our lives, there will be a battle. And we have to do what 
what Nehemiah did, and even what Romans chapter 12 and verse 19 says. Over in Romans 12, 19, it says this, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. Let not our hearts be troubled, nor let them be demoralized. (laughs) Our help comes from the Lord. Nothing is hidden from Him. And He he is here near to us. He will make all things right in the end. If we are building our lives in alignment with God's will, what God wants, if we're seeking to honor Him with our lives, if we're seeking to, to bring Him glory in our lives, if we can tell that God's got some victories going on in our lives, here's the truth. We will face battles. We will. But we're not alone. God is here. So give it to Him. Hand it over to Him. Let Him fight for us. And secondly, when building what God wants, we will also find that we'll have this battle called discouragement. We will be discouraged. Look at Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 6. He says, So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. So they're at it. They're working hard. They've got, like, they're halfway. They've got the wall half built there. It's about half its height. Now jump down to verse 10. Just four verses later. Thus in Judah it was said, The strength of the burden bearers is failing. Yet there's much rubbish. And we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. Wait, wait a minute, how, how did it go from we're in it, we're working, this is awesome, we're going to get this bad boy done to just four little verses later, listen, we are unable to build the wall. How does it get from being in it to not being in it anymore? Well, when we're discouraged, when we're feeling kind of down, we have to understand our reality. We have to understand our reality. Notice what it says again back in verse 6. He says, So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height. You see those four words? To half its height. When we understand our reality, this is the reality of it. It's the most difficult to stay motivated when you're at the halfway point. When you're at the halfway point, when you're in the middle of the race, that's when it's hardest to run. I mean, when you start, you know, when you start like, hey, I'm going to get this education and I'm going to, you know, I'm moving in this direction. I'm all excited about it. Or I'm starting this new job. When you get something started and you feel like this is of the Lord, I'm so pumped up about it. When we get started, it's, it's easy to stay motivated. Or when you're at the end, you know, it's like you can see the light at the end of the tunnel and you just know the the finish line is ahead. I can give this final push. You can kind of have great motivation at the end. The hardest time to stay motivated, to stay building into what God wants for our lives is right in the middle. Right in the middle. They were only halfway done with the wall. I just just want to speak from my heart for a minute. As I was preparing this and I'm talking to Jesus about it and stuff, it kind of struck me like, you know, Jeremy, you've been at this for 
11 years here at Faith Church. I'm almost up to my 11th year here. And I was thinking, I'm kind of in the middle. We're kind of in the middle. When I'm not at the beginning of this ministry here. I hope I'm not at the end of the ministry here. I think we've got a lot of years ahead of us. But, but you know, we're right in the middle. And when you're in the middle of building what you feel God wants us to build, this is a time when we're most vulnerable for discouragement. This is a time when you know, people might start saying, and, and I don't hear a lot of this. I hear it, but I don't hear a lot. But, you know, I don't, I don't like the direction we're headed. Or I'm not happy with this. Or this isn't really working out very well. Or I think, the, I think we're not making enough progress. Or there's just a bunch of ways in which you can hear where people are, are not happy with something. And you can start to feel a little discouraged. Now, honestly, I, I hear these things Truthfully, I'm not discouraged, but I know that when you're in the middle, when you're not at the beginning and you're not at the end, but you're in the middle, I know this is when we're most vulnerable to be derailed by discouragement. I don't know where you're at. Maybe, you know, a a little while ago you had a diagnosis of an illness that you were fighting and at the beginning you're like, yeah, we're going to get this, we're going to attack this, but now you're in the middle. It's kind of, you know, a bit of old news for you. But man, you know, this is a time when you've got to realize uh, you might feel discouraged, and it might, it's easy to feel discouraged in the middle. But press on. Maybe you're in the middle of a career, and you know at the beginning you were all excited, and you're really not at the end, but you're in the middle. Most vulnerable for discouragement. Maybe you've been trying to mend a relationship that has, that has been kind of a struggle, and at the beginning you were all in, you're giving it your all. And you're really not at the end of that relationship, but you're in the middle of it, and it's not going quite the way you want it. This is when we're most vulnerable for discouragement. Whatever we're building, and we think in God, you know, this is, I know what you want for our lives. We know that we're involved in a ministry. I mean, there's tons of different ways of understanding this. In the middle of it is when we're most vulnerable to be derailed by discouragement. That's where they were at. Imagine the discouragement that Nehemiah and the builders felt. Look at verse 7. Now when Sanballat, again, he's the governor of Samaria, there to the north of Jerusalem, and Tobiah, he's the Ammonite governor, official, he's to the east of Jerusalem, and the Arabs, they were to the south of Jerusalem, the Ammonites, I told you, they're with Tobiah, and the Ashdodites, the Ashdodites are also known as the Philistines. They were to the west of Jerusalem, when all of them heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on and that the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. All of them conspired together to come against uh, and fight against Jerusalem and cause a disturbance in it. So they were completely surrounded by all of these enemies that wanted to stop the building of the wall and were all against it and they wanted to fight. And so what does Nehemiah do? What does Nehemiah do to fight in this moment of discouragement? The first thing he does is he prays. He prays. Look at Nehemiah verse 8 again. Uh, 4 verse 8. All of them considered together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. And then look at verse 9. But we prayed to our God. When there are things around us that can cause discouragement, when we sense that there are enemies that we're facing and the struggles that we're facing, I think we have a natural tendency to look back at them. But you know what Nehemiah did? He didn't look back at them. 
He looked up and he prayed. He prayed. He focused his attention on the one who has it all in control, on the one who is not shaken by all of this stuff, and he just continued to pray to God. When we're faced with things that are discouraging, we might have a tendency to look around us, but look up. Keep our eyes on the Lord. That's where our help comes from. And then secondly, we press on. Keep our focus on God, and when we know we're building what God wants for us, we keep pressing on. We keep going forward. Once again, verse 9, but we prayed to our God, and because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. Okay, you guys might be threatening us, but we're going to set up a guard, and we're going to keep moving forward. There was a guy who um, was making his way on this journey through the Sahara Desert. He was actually going from Algeria to Tunisia, and, uh, and he was on a horse. And as they're out in the desert, he's realizing that this horse, um, <laughs> I was going to say this horse with no name, in the desert on a horse with no name, just came to me now, whatever. So he's on his horse and uh, he has to let the horse go. Whatever that lyric of the song is, after three days, he let the horse go or forget, I forget how it goes. I, I'm digressing, let me stay with my story. So he lets the horse go because the horse isn't going to make it through the desert and, and he's got to get to Tunisia. So he puts the weight of, his, of what he had on the horse on his own back. He's got his food, he's got his water, but there's not a lot of supply. And he starts marching through the desert, right? And the sun is beating down on him. And the back of his neck is turning all red, burnt, sunburned. His arms are getting sunburnt. The sun is beating down on his face and his lips start blistering from the sun. And, you know, he's trying to conserve water. He's just taking little tiny sips, but his tongue starts to swell up from thirst. And, and then the wind kicks up, you know, and, and the sand is blowing all over the place and he doesn't have a good covering for his face and it's getting in his eyes and it's totally scratching his eyes and it's just, just terrible, you know, and he just keeps pressing on. He's got to get to Tunisia, got to get to Tunisia. And then as he's kind of delirious, you know, he kind of wobbles a little bit and he scrapes up against a cactus. And the cactus cuts his pants and cuts his leg and he's just bleeding now. And, and he's just, you know, oh, and up ahead he sees this little tiny cypress tree. There's this measly little shade, you know, and he, he comes up to it and he's like, sits down and he plops his back up against the cypress tree and his shade is barely there. And he, he looks up to heaven he says, things keep going like this. I'm really going to get discouraged. And he gets back up, and he keeps going with a smile on his face. Yeah, I think in life we can kind of experience that. You know, like we're in a desert. I mean, things aren't going the way we want. We're kind of getting beat up, you know? The sand is in our eyes. The, the, the obstacles are ahead. We're... We're getting cut by, by what people say or how they offer threats. Uh, it's just, just life isn't really going the way we want it to go. And when we're feeling like we just might get discouraged because of the stuff that's happening, we've got to turn our eyes to the Lord and press on. Keep going. When we know, God, we know this is your will. We know we're trying to do what you want us to do. We know that 
We've been a bit mocked or ridiculed and we're feeling a little discouraged, but press on. Keep moving. Finally, when we are building what God wants, there's another battle that we probably will face and that is being distressed. You know, filled with fear. Sometimes in life, fear can get the best of us. It is a battle that we will face. Look at the fear that was instilled into the Jews working there on the wall. Verse 11, Our enemies said, they will not know or see until we come among them, kill them, and put a stop to the work. When the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times, they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. Ten times, like we are really afraid. You've got to understand, they're going to come and kill us. They were clearly frightened. Just by the words that they said, they instilled fear. They caused distress. You know, last week I was, I told you a story of when I was in high school, I was threatened, my life was threatened. That guy that pulled that gun on me, remember last week? Well, that wasn't the last time my life was threatened. <laughs> I had a, a couple of other times in my life. I remember once I was in uh, seminary, actually. I was working full-time at this place called Prudential Cleanroom Services. And uh, when I got there, there was this branch of Prudential that was just getting started. We were selling clean room, disposable clean room garments. So like latex gloves and bouffant caps and polypropylene shoe covers and all this kind of fun stuff. And, uh, and so I was back in the warehouse. I was actually both managing it and running the warehouse at the time. And we had one salesman that was, as we were just getting started. And uh, one of our competitors, his name was Dwight, and he owned this company. Uh, I found out that he was doing some things that were illegal, some illegal business practices. And I didn't know what to do about it. So I called my boss, which is in a totally different place, and I told him about what I knew. I had, I had actual facts that he was doing some bad stuff. And I just told my boss, I thought, well, okay, that's done. And I just kind of went back to working. And I was it, back in the warehouse, and uh, this is in Phoenix, Arizona. I was back in the warehouse, and I'm just organizing pallets and keeping the product, you know, uh, moving, uh, organizing, all that. And Dwight comes through the back door. And I didn't really think anything of it. I was like, hey, Dwight. And he walks right up to me, and he grabs me by the shirt, and he slams me into the, into the pallets, like a, this stack of latex gloves, and he pushes into me, and he tells me how he heard about what I told my boss, and he starts literally, I don't remember everything that he was saying, but basically I remember him saying something like, when you least expect it, I'm going to be there, and I'm going to get you. And I really felt like Dwight was going to kill me. I felt like, oh my, and he's like, if you tell anybody, that will be the end of you. I, I don't remember all the words, but I just remember being completely petrified, like, oh no, I am really in bad trouble. Just by his threats, I was filled with fear. And I literally, like, would drive and, like, look out my mirrors, and I'd be in a, you know, in a gas station or something, and I'd be looking around, just wondering what Dwight had in store for me. Words can instill fear. Just threats. I am going to hurt you. That's all it took. Someone might say, I'm suing you. Or I'm leaving and I'm not coming back. Or you are in big, big trouble. Or you're not going to make it. Just those kinds of lines, they can, they can throw us off. 
they can cause us to be quite fear-filled. So how do we fight the battle when we're facing fear? How do we fight the battle when we're feeling distressed? Well, first of all, we need to remember who God is. Always remind ourselves who God is. Look at verse 13. Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the people and families with the swords, spears, and bows. Now listen to verse 14. When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Here's what he said. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. We don't have time to go to it, but back in chapter 2 and verse 18, when Nehemiah first got there, he told of how Artaxerxes let him come and how Artaxerxes didn't just let him come, but like gave him letters so that he could bring all the materials that they needed to fix the wall and that he even sent with him like guards and, and military officials and all of this huge entourage to come and help build the wall. This was unexplainable apart from God. Listen, our God is great and awesome. Don't fear them. Keep focused on who God is. So I took Dwight's you know, threat seriously and I clammed up. Like, okay, well, what do I do with this? You know? and, I, and I told my wife, Jill, and we prayed. We were afraid and we prayed. About a month later, AZ was our salesman. AZ comes into the warehouse and he says, you hear what happened to Dwight? I'm like, no, what happened to Dwight? He goes, yesterday he was in his office. Now, Dwight's like 45 years old at the time. Dwight was in his office and he had a meeting. And all of a sudden, his eyes rolled up in the back of his head and he fell over. And they rushed him to the hospital and he's in the hospital right now. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. They said he had a massive brain aneurysm. By the next day, Dwight was gone. Now, I don't mean to kind of say I know what God is up to all the time. But in that moment, I just had this flood come over me like, God, you're protecting me. God, that, that threat against me is now gone. I mean, God is great and awesome. When we know that we are building into our lives what He desires for us, we can be sure that we know that God is great and awesome. Also, when we're feeling the fear, we need to fight the battle. I mean, don't cower, right? We need to fight for love's sake. Fight for love's sake. Nehemiah and the Jews, they didn't back away. They just guarded, you know, they set people up to fight the battle. And then again, in verse, in verse 14, when he says, do not be afraid of them, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And then he adds this, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Fight for those you love. You know, we have a mission that God has sent us on. We're to invite people into a relationship with Jesus and then together become devoted followers after him. We have been called to help people get on what we call the growth pathway. On the back of your bulletin, you'll see those 
four signs to know that you're on the growth pathway. Help people connect spiritually. Help people to serve the Lord. Help people to grow in understanding what this life with Him is all about. And together, go out into Manitowoc because there's so many people in the surrounding areas who need the Lord. we got to go reach lost people for Jesus and help them grow up into all that He desires for them. About a year ago, I don't know exactly when it was, but remember when we had that bridge up here? And many of you came up here and wrote the names of people that you love who are lost without Jesus. You love them. It's out on our prayer path out over here uh, down by the pond. And uh, I go out there every so often and I just look at those names and I'm always moved emotionally because I know that they're written there with love. We have brothers and sisters and grandkids and kids and friends and all sorts of different people in our lives that we know need the Lord. We have people that we know are not walking in alignment with the whole truth of God's Word, that, that they're not wanting or, or they just don't seem to get what it means to follow after the Lord. We love them. You love them. I love them. And we can't let demoralizing things or discouraging things or distressing things either get in the way that we fight for them. We fight for them. And then we unite for God's sake. We unite for God's sake, for His glory. Look at verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. From that day on, Half of my servants carried on the work while half of them held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the breastplates. And the captains were behind the whole house of Judah. The captains, those military officials that came with him into Jerusalem, they were there to help show them how to fight. Verse 17, those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens took their load with one hand doing the work and the other holding a weapon. As for the builders, each wore his sword girded to his side as he built, while the trumpeters stood near me. I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. At whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. I love that. Rally to us there, but we are still doing this on the, in faith that God is going to take care of us. We're doing what He wants us to do. We're pressing forward, and we're keeping faith in Him. Verse 21, So we carried on the work with half of them holding spears from dawn until uh, the stars appeared. At that time, I also said to the people, let each man with his servants spend the night within Jerusalem so that they may be a guard for us by night and a laborer by day. So neither I, my brothers, my servants, nor the men of, of the guard who followed me, none of us removed our clothes, even took his weapon even to the water. When we went down to bathe or when we went down to go to the bathroom, we took our weapons with us. We are all in. You, you sense the energy there? You sense like, okay, we're back at it, you know? It was like God brought them through the fire of, of, of the battles, the struggles, the emotional hurts, and their insecurities. Kind of like, kind of like when uh, Sir, Sir, uh, Sir James Thornhill on the scaffoldings of St. Paul's Cathedral, like to the point where, man, if they took one more step back, it would be like they would be ruined and, and this project would not get done. But then God used guys like Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the others to, to, in a sense, paint a brush stroke across the wall. You know, to, 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 to basically 
make them go, wait, what are you doing? This is not right. And, and they took a step forward. But it wasn't just to the wall. They were taking a step forward to God. They were taking a step forward to really rely on Him. To really trust in Him. To give it all to Him. And they pressed on. Pressing on. Keeping their focus on working. On working with each other. On doing it for love's sake and being united for God's sake. For His purpose. For His glory. You know, as we're building our lives, as we're you know, trying to do what God wants us to do, in a sense, painting a picture of what we believe God has called us to, we can sometimes feel like we're getting beat up. You know? We can feel like, man, it just feels like we're taking two steps forward and then one step back. We can become demoralized, discouraged, and distressed even. But God is calling us to be brave. God is calling us to turn to Him and to press on. Knowing that if we're working for the Lord, if we're doing His will, if we're doing His mission, we're reaching the lost, and we're building up the saved, doing what brings Him the glory, if we are loving each other, doing it together, pressing on because we love others who need the Lord, and we're united for His glory, for His sake, the fact of the matter is, we will experience victory in the battles. We'll face the battles, but God will give us the victory where we'll look over our shoulder and we'll say, you know what's happened here? Okay, yeah, it was rough, you know? It was like we were one step away from, from falling off. But we leaned into the Lord and what we see happening all around us is virtually unexplainable apart from Him.